Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We've been uh, Sunday nights talking about the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of God's Word, everything that Scripture says about itself. Uh, We have three or four more weeks looking at this. Um, so tonight, we're, we're dealing with each attribute of God's Word, and, and tonight um, is um, that the Bible is, th- is authoritative. We've looked at several things so far tonight. It's the Bible has authority. It has authority. Um, so imagine with me that you're about to have surgery. So you're at the hospital. You're about to have surgery. You're, you know, they come in. They, they get you all set up, and then they you know, make you wait an hour, and then they come in and get you and take you out. And um, let's say it's a back surgery. And um, that you've been preparing for this for a month, and you are at the hospital, and you're waiting, and your doctor walks in, and he sa- he's, he's got two guys with him that, that you don't recognize. And he says, hey, um, sorry, something crazy came up this morning, um, really serious emergency in the hospital. They need all hands on deck. I um, can't do your surgery. Um, actually, the, um, so, so, so I'm going, uh, I'm not going to be able to do the surgery, but don't worry. I've got George and Bill here. They're going to they're gonna do your surgery. You're in good hands. And George and Bill are not dressed in any kind of doctor uniform, just regular clothes. And you ask the question, um, well, are George and Bill doctors? And have they ever done a surgery like this before? And your doctor says, no, but it's okay. It's okay. George had a dream last night that he was a spinal surgeon, so he should be good. And Bill read a couple articles on Facebook about how to do a back surgery, so you're in good hands. You'll be okay. And then he just turns and walks out. How are you going to be feeling if that happens? Kind of like, no, we're not doing this surgery today. We're waiting for another time. Because we recognize there is a medical authority to surgery. You want somebody with the proper authority cutting open your back. Okay, you don't want some random guy off the street that just had a dream that he was a spinal surgeon um, cutting open your back. And the Bible is authoritative. There's authority when it comes to things like that. The Bible has authority to it. When it comes to matters of faith, the Bible is our authority. We don't put our hope or get direction from things outside the Bible. When it comes to things outside the Bible, we only follow those things as long as they line up with what Scripture says. Where we've been so far, the Bible is the inspired word of God. That is, he breathed it out. He actually spoke it through the human authors. Um, Since God makes no mistakes, then the Bible is without error. And if that is the case, um, the the Bible is clear. He he gives this um, without error book that that is clear, that that, um, we can read and understand. Especially if we have the Holy Spirit, we can see what's going on behind the scenes. And if all of that is the case then everything the Bible says is true, 
and thus authoritative in our lives. And so with that, let's read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 18. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Our day and age, well, arguably every day and age, but, but our day and age, we, we can see um, that they hate authority. We live in a day that hates authority. Nearly every system of authority in our culture is either rejected, hated, or viewed suspiciously. Whether it's the police force, whether it's the government, whether it's school teachers, whether it's ministers, whether it's military, whether it's parents, it might, it might be men. Um, every form of, every authoritative structure in our culture um, is viewed either suspiciously or flat out rejected. The, 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 the reason that is, is often authority has been abused. Often people who have authority have used it wrongly. So there have certainly been police officers that have not, um, that have not been good police officers. Um, politicians on both sides are corrupt. Um, ministers have fallen into sin and covered up abuse. Um, parents have abused their children. Um, men have often been domineering. There are bad examples of every type of authority. So people don't like authority because of that. But bad examples of authority don't nullify every form of authority. The brutality of some police officers doesn't mean good police officers aren't out there. Though some ministers have used their authority to swindle money and lead people astray, that doesn't mean there aren't other ministers that are really trying to love the church and build God's kingdom. The authority of the Bible is not just a good authority, as many of those, that, many of those systems that we just named are, the police and military and parents and all of that, those are good authority. Scripture is a perfect authority. It's perfect, and it's good for us. That's what it starts out here in the passage saying. Um, the, the authority of the Bible is for our good. In a world of people using their authority to abuse other people, God's word is an authority that is for our good. So verse 15, what, is, what does he say? I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. He just puts it out there. In other words, this book, he's speaking to Israel, but he's speaking... Um, the, the words that God has just given them all this time and ultimately then carries over into all of God's word. Um, it, he's, he's telling them that um, you have this book before you, you have this authority before you, and it's life and good. It will lead you into the right places, and it will keep you from the wrong places. This book tells us what is good and life-producing, and it tells us what is evil and what brings death. God gives us this for the opposite of abuse. He gives it to us for our good. He wants us to avoid death. He wants us to have abundant life. He, and if you will read and learn from this book and follow his word, that is what happens. We can think of Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 1. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That psalm is proclaiming to us that those who meditate on God's word are like a tree by a stream of water. And that stream of water is flowing up into the roots and making the tree healthy. And that tree is going to bear much fruit. And those who don't listen to God's word, those who don't meditate on God's word, are going to get blown away like chaff, like dead grass. So the Bible has the final authority on everything it talks about. Um, the, the, um, the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's a um, doctrinal statement I've quoted several times. The, the, Chris, could you bring up that first slide? Uh, this is what it says about God's authority. It's possible there's typos in this. I typed it up really quick um, just a few minutes ago. But um, the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils opinions of ancient writers doctrines of men and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the holy spirit speaking in the scripture that is what it means that god's word is authoritative it is in all things um, the 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 ultimate authority it's authoritative over everything it gives definite authority on all the topics it discusses it gives authority on marriage it gives authority on human dignity it gives authority on how to be saved it gives authority on what the church is to be and do it gives authority on so many things where it leaves nuance where it doesn't talk about specific things you use the principles it gives to discern what the authority would say for example can a Christian watch television? The Bible doesn't say yes or no because television, believe it or not, wasn't invented when the Bible was written. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not watch television. So therefore, Christians are free to do so. However, the Bible does give wisdom and authority on, 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 on how to watch television. So you use the authority of the Bible to dictate your life in that way. Ephesians 5, 16, you make the best use of your time for the days are evil. So um, maybe don't, you know, watch 10 hours of television. Um, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you're going to watch television, make sure you're discerning on everything that comes into your, into your brain from the thing, because it might be trying to conform you to the patterns of this world. Psalm 1, as we just said, meditate on God's word. So don't let scripture keep you from, don't, don't let TV keep you from meditating on God's word. Don't allow things in, uh, in, on TV to cause you to stumble into sin. You, you take the principles of the authoritative word and you apply it to the thing that the Bible doesn't explicitly speak about. You could do that with all kinds of things in life, sports and vacation and employment and spending your money and, and, and so many things like that. There, there's, the Bible gives authoritative principles that we then take and filter through the thing that we're thinking about and the thing we're trying to understand to um, know what the authority of Scripture says about it. The Bible has authority over our entire lives because it is God's Word and He is sovereign over every part of our lives. Now, some might say, 
Isn't that a circular argument? Can we really accept the Bible as authority since we get that from the Bible? Like, like our argument is, the Bible is authoritative because the Bible says so. Well, there's an extent to which, if you're talking to a skeptic who says that, we can't get around that argument. Like, that's, that's the truth. But the authority of the Bible is built on the foundation of the, of the other doctrines we've looked at already, that this is the inspired and errant word of God. God actually gave us this book. If you don't believe those two, you won't believe that this is authoritative. If God really has spoken the words of Scripture, it's authoritative in all that it says. Now, in replacing, uh, in replacing of the Bible, a lot of people have a lot of other things as their authority. The two avenues people usually go um, in um, getting another authority in their lives other than the Bible is denial of inspiration and additional authorities. So denial of inspiration, this is more common thing in the world. Um, it's the belief God did not inspire scripture. It's just an ancient collections of religious writings from men. Uh, the easiest question to that kind of claim is, what is the authority of truth in? What determines what truth is if it's not scripture? Because everybody has to answer that question somehow. And it, the, the, if you ask that question, you're probably going to get one of two answers. Either um, you're, you're going to, um, you're either going to get uncertainty or you're going to get multiple different answers. Um, so their answers might be, um, well, different cultures get to determine what truth is. Um, the, the culture itself gets to define for itself what authoritative truth is, but that only works to an extent because if you take that far enough, what about a culture that is okay with killing infidels and trafficking children? Okay, I don't ever want to say that their, their belief that that's okay, it makes it right. There's got to be some kind of authority that establishes what right and wrong is outside of the cultural preferences. Some people might say, well, the... Um, truth is whatever the majority of people say. Well, that's scary. That's how you get the Holocaust. When the majority of people say, uh, we're okay with that, or we're not going to fight that. Some people might say, well, um, we don't know what our authority is. We don't know what, what real truth is. We, we have no idea. And how terrible of an existence that must be. How can you even convict a murderer if there's no authority of what right and wrong is? I don't want to live in a world like that. Having scripture as our authority of truth gives a rock-solid picture of what right and wrong is that goes throughout all generations and all cultures because God is sovereign over all of these things. When you, when you don't have that authority, you're left with having to ask the question Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Because you don't know. So the first um, way that people deny the authority of scripture is just denial of, of inspiration. The second is through having additional authorities, through having things that are authorities to truth, um, especially when it comes to things in the Bible um, that aren't scripture themselves. So this is the one religious people are more likely to do. The world does just the denial of inspiration. Religious people tend to do the um, having something else as their authority. Um, so one possible one is additional books of scripture. Um, this is what happens in Christian cults like Mormonism. Um, they aren't Christians in the biblical sense for a lot of reasons, one of which is they have additional scriptures. They ha have books outside of the Bible that they hold to as scripture. Mormons have the Book of Mormon. 
Doctrines and Covenant and the Great Pearl, the, the Pearl of Great Price, all three additional books to Scripture. You have the uh, Catholic Bible. The, the Catholic Bible has um, more books than our 66 books. Our Bible has Genesis through Revelation, 66 books of the Bible. Um, the Catholic Bible has 73 books. Um, we're actually going to talk about that in a couple weeks, um, why we only have 66 and they have 73. But um, additional scripture books can be an authority people have. There's also church tradition, formal and informal. Formal being things like the um, the, the Catholic Church holds three things as their authority. They have three authorities. We have one, the scriptures. They have three. They have scripture, tradition, that is how has the church understood things and done them throughout history, and what they call the magisterium, that is the, the teaching office of the church. In their view, um, the minister has as much authority, uh, has as much, has the ability to make authoritative statements the same way scripture does, more than the Bible. That's a formal form of um, church tradition being um, uh, the, the authority for them. An informal way is probably characterized by the, by the famous, infamous quote, we've always done it that way. It's the most common phrase used to shut down change in a church. But change has to happen, doesn't it? If we lived in the 1800s and I wanted to communicate with my parents in Kentucky, I'd have to sit down and write a letter to them and send it. And they might not get it for weeks. I'm glad communication has changed, aren't you? Scripture stands forever. Tradition is not to be held up to the authority of Scripture. We certainly hear from tradition. We see how the church has done it throughout the generations, and we, we say, this was good, let's continue that. But, but it's not binding on us the way that um, Scripture is. Let me give you some examples. Door-to-door um, -door evangelism used to be super common. Um, it's not as common anymore because people um, are a lot more skeptical of people coming up to your door these days. That's why people have, are a lot more common to have back porches instead of front porches because we, um, you got to get into the, um, you, you got to get into the lives of the people before you can hang out on their porch in our day and time. Um, it's super common now for churches to do small group ministry rather than Sunday school. It's it's the same concept as Sunday school, but it meets in homes outside of the Sunday morning gathering. Um, the, these things are methods um, that we do today that work today, but as time goes, methods change, tradition changes. That's how it does. Truth does not change. Authoritative truth does not change, but the way we carry out those truths may change. Scripture does not change. It used to be only big churches that, that broadcasted their worship service to the public. So when I was a kid, um, First Baptist Church of Madisonville um, had their church service on at like I think it was what whenever they whenever they had church they, they broadcasted it on TV today the majority of churches in my hometown broadcast their sermons on Facebook live because COVID taught us the value of doing that for people like shut-ins um, that 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 that's a change that's happened it's it's how things happen so many questions that we have to think through we have to ask does the scriptures speak to that and if it doesn't then um, you know, I, I think there's freedom in how we do it. So what does the Bible say about what a church building is supposed to look like? It doesn't. It might look like this that we're in right now. It might look like the ministry center at First Baptist Tifton. It might look like a hut in Africa. There's no definite statement that says you've got to have it looking like this one particular thing. What does the Bible say about how long a worship service is supposed to go? We typically do an hour um, but but wh where does it say how long a worship service is supposed to go? It doesn't. 
It might be an hour like ours. It might be three hours like the service I went to in El Salvador when I was there on a mission trip. It was a three-hour worship service, and it was all in Spanish. I didn't understand anything that they were saying. What does the Bible say about how many worship services a church is supposed to have? It doesn't. A church might have a morning, evening, and Wednesday night like we do. It might, they might have um, one Sunday morning service, and that's it. They might have multiple services on Sunday morning, 8 30, 9.45, and, and 11. That they, they might have um, any other arrangement. The Bible doesn't give an authoritative statement, have this many worship services. God gives each church the freedom to do these things as best fits their context. Tradition is good but it's not binding authority. That's one of the big things Jesus was challenging the Pharisees on. They had their personal traditions that they held up to the level of Scripture, and when he challenged them on it, they killed him for challenging that, thinking they were serving God in the process. So um, additional authorities people have, uh, the additional Scripture books, church tradition and then personal experience that's a that's an authority people of our day use this is common in a number of ways it's the basis of liberal theology um chris could you pull up that next that next slide this is a quote from a liberal theologian Here, listen to what he said um the essential idea of liberal theology is that all claims to truth in theology as in other disciplines must be made on the basis of reason and experience not by appeal to external authority Christian scripture may be recognized as spiritually authoritative within Christian experience, but its words does not settle or establish truth claims about matters of fact. Well, I'm glad he just came out and at least said it. I'm glad he didn't try and fool people into saying, yeah, we, we hold scripture as our highest authority. He just went ahead and said, yeah, we don't think scripture is the highest authority. I'm, I'm glad he made that clear. Again, the, the personal, experience, personal experience is different person to person, so it can't be authoritative for all people. You see this commonly play out. What often happens when a Christian parent who believes homosexuality is a sin has a child that comes out as gay? Well, they, they leave that belief about homosexuality being a sin behind so that they can have a relationship with their child. Because it's hard to figure out the balance of holding to truth and loving their gay child. And it requires some really hard conversations and some really hard interactions. And it's just easier to go ahead and cave on that for the sake of the relationship. Personal experience trumps scripture in that moment for them. Here's how someone else put it. Um, how many of you have heard of the book Jesus Calling? It's a very common devotional book. Um, sold over 10 million copies, and that's not counting its sequels. They've made, you know, Jesus Calling for Teens and Jesus Calling for Moms and all that stuff. The first edition of the book, there was a passage in the introduction that shows why the author wrote this book in the first place. They scrapped it from later editions because of backlash over it, I'm sure. Um, but she believed, the, the author of the book believes in an idea of what she calls listeners, people who believe they hear directly from God, and then they convey that message from God to other people. So listen to this quote from the first edition of her book. Chris, Chris next quote. Um, this is from the first edition. It's no longer published. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed he was saying. And that's how the book came to be. 
She was too bored with what the Bible said, and she needed more. God's word is final and sufficient for us. We don't need more. We, We have all that we need in Scripture. We'll deal with this more next week when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture. It is all that we need. And if we want to hear God speak to us on any given day, we simply open this book and read it because that's what he's done for thousands of years. That's how he speaks to his church. The Holy Spirit speaking to us through Scripture. Another, another authority people give, I think this is the last one I have, is their opinion. This one is extremely common, isn't it? The fact is, um, you know, this is common in, in, with, with church. Um, the fact is, a, a lot of church people don't know their Bible well enough to be able to know what it says to, about how to think about something. But they're a pretty decent person. And what they do is, um, they think, maybe, maybe they never put this into words, but, you know, I'm a pretty good person um, and so what God thinks must be what the Bible says, um, that, that he, he probably agrees with that, whatever I think, because I'm a pretty decent person. So here's my opinion. And we, we think our opinions are therefore authoritative, even though often our opinions and, um, are completely opposite from what Scripture says. And what does that expose in us? That we view our opinion on the same level as biblical authority, and that means we view ourselves with the same authority as God himself. Back during COVID, um, in those early days when we were trying to figure it all out and trying to figure out how to do church in the midst of a pandemic and all that, um, I heard from a lot of pastors um, that the church they were pastoring was expecting them to make statements on so many things going on in the world. Uh, Make a statement on masks. Make a statement on vaccines. Make a statement on Black Lives Matter. Make a statement on the election. Um, And what are they saying when they want the pastor to make some kind of statement on those things? Well, they're saying we want to hear your opinion on it so that it's God-endorsed. Because if the pastor says it, then it must be God-endorsed. Unless, of course, I disagree with it, and then I don't want to hear it. You see, as a pastor, my my authority holds no, my, my opinion holds no authority if it isn't derived from Scripture. None. Scripture is the authority for the church. Not the opinion of the pastor, not the opinion of the deacons, not the opinion of the biggest tither. Not the opinion of the person who's been here the longest. It's scripture alone. It's our authority. We must know what it says, and we must apply what it says. And we must kill our opinions that don't line up with it. So scripture has authority. So how do you respond to this authority? Verse 15 was the authority. 16 through 18 is how you respond to it. The response to the authority of God's word is simple. Obedience. Obedience. There's a threefold response that he lays out there in verse 16. You obey the commands of the Lord your God. Um, you, you do so by loving the Lord, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments. Threefold. Love the Lord, walk in his ways, keep his commandments. Jesus put it a similar way in John 14 when he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. People like to separate love and obedience like it's like it's like they don't jive. Like God, you know, just wants me to love him. He, he's not concerned with me keeping a bunch of rules. But but the two are tied together. If you love Jesus, you'll do what Jesus wants because you love him. As you keep his commandments, you will grow in your love for him. And that will continue. That's a circle. It's like the more I love him, the more I obey him. Therefore, the more I love him. You know, I love my wife. And there are certain unspoken rules of our marriage, right? I don't 
hold the hands of other women. I don't stay the night at other women's houses. I don't spend a ton of money on things without ask, without talking to her about it. I do these things not because she has me on a leash, but because I love her. And a part of our love is that we will, um, we, we will keep the rules of our relationship together. That's how it works. So if you are going to rightly respond to the authority of God's word, you must obey it. Obey it. You must keep his commandments and walk in his ways. You do this because you love him. So ask, I want to ask a question to you. If, if you happen to be a person who doesn't regularly read their Bible, let me ask you a question. If the Bible really has authority in all things, why don't you read it? Because reading the Bible is the most important discipline of a Christian. You must be reading every day. You must find time to sit down with it and read it. You must take it in. Do that over your entire lifetime, and you will be formed and molded by the Holy Spirit to be able to think biblically about all things, because you know his word. You, you, you need to read it. You also need to hear the preaching of the word as you're doing right now. God established preaching in the church. What I'm doing right now is the most important thing I do. It's the shepherd feeding the sheep. When you hear God's word in community like this, it works in you in ways that di differently than, than just, you know, um, reading it at home. You need to read it at home. You also need to hear it in community. God established both of those things to work for your Christian life. You need to study it in community. Honestly, for, for most of you, that's going to be Sunday school. You need that. You should bring your Bible to church. I have a pastor friend who, um, who anytime someone in his church doesn't bring their Bible um, to church, he, he always tells them, you're like a soldier without your gun. Because you need to have your Bible open while I'm preaching so you can make sure I'm preaching what the Bible says. I could be spouting off heresy up here for all you know. How will you know without your Bible open to make sure what I'm saying is what the text says? That's why I don't put my preaching passage on the screen. I put quotes like this on the screen, and we'll use lyrics on the screen, but I don't put the passage that I'm reading on the screen because it encourages people to not bring their Bible to church because it's just going to be up there. I can just look at it up there. But since I put the screens up there, I can twist the scripture when I put it up there if you don't have your Bible to see. If you do these things, if you read his word, if you hear it preached, if you study in, in community, you scripture says you will live and be blessed verse 16 right there verse 16 that that if you do all of this then you shall live and multiply and the lord your god will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it but what if you don't what if you don't obey the authority of god's word well that's where verses 17 and 18 come that comes in this is what happens when you when you um, ignore the authority of God's word, when you reject it. There are two ways people ignore, two ways people reject God's authoritative word. The first is to reject it outright. That is, your, your heart turns away from it. You hear what it says, you don't like it, you reject it. And the other is to passively hear it. You don't hear it. That, that's what it says, um, verse 17, that if, you, if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. So your heart turns away as flat-out rejection. You will not hear it as passively listening to it, but not hearing it. That's more common among probably, um, that, that's probably the, the thing that, that 
we are more tempted to do, not outright reject God's word because we believe in it, but to, to not hear it. Passivity. Uh, I've heard this before. I, I don't need to hear it again. I've heard a sermon on God's authoritative word before. Do I really need to hear it again? Let, and, and we let it go in one ear and out the other. And, and we'll, we'll hear the sermon, but we won't apply it. We'll read God's word at home, but we're, you know, we've got somewhere to be. We've only got so much time, so we'll just skim it really quick. And then we'll check the box that we read it. But we didn't. We didn't read it. We didn't pay attention to what it said so that it can do work in our hearts. That, that's as much rejection of God's word as saying, no, God, I disagree is. And what happens if you ignore the authority of God's word? Well, verse 18. I declare to you that you will surely perish. You will not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. Because God's ways lead to life. When you ignore them, you suffer. Because God knows what he's doing. God is a good father, and he knows meth will kill his children. So he says, don't do meth. I love you. Don't, don't, don't disobey my words. I love you. I want you to thrive in life. Don't disobey my words. Listen to them. I love you. I want you to have abundant life. In 1517, the Roman Catholic Church ruled the land. Everybody was expected to attend church, whether they were a Christian or not, whether they believed in God or not. It was part of your civic duties. If you neglected for long, you could be excommunicated and essentially cut off from eternal life and made an outcast in society. There were two prevalent doctrines in that day, um, indulgences. That is, you, if you had sinned, you would come and confess your sins to a priest, and he would prescribe you how much money you had to pay for forgiveness. How do you think the incredibly gorgeous Catholic cathedrals in Europe were built? And then the second was purgatory. You're probably more familiar with that one. When you died, they said that you went to purgatory, essentially like a waiting room, like an ER waiting room for heaven. And you had to work off your remaining sins in purgatory. Your loved ones on earth could pray, and they could pay money to get you out faster, to get you to heaven. There was a phrase at the time, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. It's a nice rhyme, but it's, but it's horrible theology. God had been doing work on a monk named Martin Luther. Luther was reading scripture one day, and he read Romans 1.17. For it is written, for, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He read that, he realizes that salvation is not by indulgences, it's on faith, and he is saved. He's born again by God's spirit through faith. He begins to study the scripture, and he realizes that the teaching of the Catholic Church of that day is not in line with Scripture, particularly on the issue of salvation. It's not of works, it's of grace. So Luther writes what are known as the 95 Theses, and 95 statements that show where Scripture contradicts the teachings and practices of the Roman Catholic Church, and he nailed it to the door um, of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, on the morning of October 31st, 1517. Luther recognized Scripture was from God, and it was authoritative. But the Catholic Church saw their tradition as authority. They called Luther to a trial before them at, at, at what's known as the Diet of Worms. It's spelled worms, but, but they pronounce their W's like a V. Um, and, and, a, and it was an imperial assembly in Worms, Germany. They called him in. They told him to recant of the 95 Theses. 
If he did, he'd be welcomed back into the church. If he didn't, he would be branded a heretic, and he might be burned at the stake. He made a long defense, which you can actually look up and read, but the final paragraph of it is glorious. It's actually up here. Um, this is what he said. Since you, most serene majesty, and your, your highnesses require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I'll give you one. And it is this. I cannot submit by faith either to the Pope or to the Council because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistencies with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, if my judgment is not in the way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot either be safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I can do I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. He knew scripture was authority, and they were telling him to deny scripture and live. And that's the opposite of what God says here. He set before you today life and good. Obey them and you'll live long in the land. Reject them and you'll perish. They were telling Martin Luther the exact opposite. Obey scripture and you'll perish. But deny it and you'll live. Just like Martin Luther, we are bound to scripture. It is our sole authority. Nothing else gets that place. It has the final say on everything in the universe because God is sovereign over the universe. Because it is inspired, it is inerrant, it is clear, and it is authoritative, and we submit to its authority. So as Luther said, here I stand, I cannot do otherwise, God help me, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us this authority. Lord, you haven't left us to how the world would like it, where everybody just gets to choose their own truth. Because, Lord, you know the foolishness of that. You know that uh, my truth um, would disagree with somebody else's truth, and we would never get along. You've given us a, an authority that is outside of ourself, and it's your word. You've communicated it to us through the hands of people that you inspired to write it, and it has complete, without error, authority. And so, Lord, may we, may we give our lives to it. May we know it and love it and read it and treasure it and grow in it. And may we not put other things as, as the overall authority in our lives. Lord, what, what do other books have to do with Scripture? What, what does um, church tradition get to trump over Scripture with? What does my opinion matter when it disagrees with Scripture? What do these things hold up against your word? Your word is supreme and true, and we submit our lives to it. So, Lord, I pray that we would read it daily. I pray that we would hear it preached. I pray that we would study it in community. And, Lord, I pray that you would change us by it. Help us to trust the authority of your word and to live our lives under it, to love you, to walk in your ways, and obey all your commandments, for this is our duty. Here we stand. We cannot do otherwise. God help us. In Jesus' name, amen.